Now, from BetQL, it's time for the Daily Tip with Michael Jenkins. Dang it, he's talented. And let's be honest, I go for ambition, not luck. And Chelsea Messenger. Don't kill the messenger, or the messenger will kill you. Hey, Dad, don't forget about me, the dunkster. Presented by BetMGM. Good morning, everyone. It is a daily tip for BetQL presented by BetMGM, inching our way towards the weekend. Thanks for waking up with us on the daily tip for BetQL presented by BetMGM. Coming up on this Thursday edition, baseball has a new world champion. We will recap last night's historic win for the Texas Rangers at 620. You know we got to talk some football with Chelsea's Texans making the road trip to the Steel City, or Titans, I should say. Don't know why I said Texans there. Then during the 7 o'clock hour, time to look ahead to the weekend and the college game with our Week 10 preview featuring a Big 12 battle between Kansas State and Texas. We're going to put together our show parlay during the hour as well and a couple of great guests coming your way at 8 o'clock. First, mid-major Mac giving us his thoughts on the rankings for the college football playoff at 820. Chris Mack from the Beck QLU podcast. And finally, we wrap things up with our best bets at 8:45. Chelsea, how are you on this Thursday? Are you happy that we now have crowned a world champion in your favorite sport or are you sad because baseball is over? It did feel kind of anticlimactic cuz I think all of us want to see the Dimebacks show a little bit more life and you just kept waiting and they kept just, mm-hmm. you know, squandering all of their chances with runners in scoring position. So it does suck that baseball's over, but it felt like it was time. So, you know, we only had the one game going on. So it's not like we had a whole host of games to be betting on. And I didn't have the best of handles on this World Series, even though I do think both of us knew that in the end, it was going to be the Rangers eventually. It was just in a matter of how many games, but they did it pretty quickly as it only took, what, five games for the Rangers to take the World Series title? Yes, they were awesome in the entire postseason. We'll get to that. And I woke up this morning to see you firing back to some people on Twitter. Why are people giving you credit for your wins when you've had a streak? You've actually had a great month. You don't have to talk about this if you don't want. But you've had a great month, and I see one pick that's bad. Or not bad, just one pick that didn't win. And all of a sudden, the trolls come out like cicadas. Yeah, that's how it goes. Nobody comments when you win on anything. It's just whenever you lose a pick. And that's the thing. It would be one thing if I had like a really terrible stretch where I wasn't winning any bets. But I feel like I've had a pretty solid month. And then, you know, I lose one pick. And it's like, oh, this is the worst pick ever. And it's like, okay, well, if it's the worst pick ever, it loses the same amount of money as if it lost by the hook. So like, that's where I hate it. And also these people who are trolling me, are not meeting the two requirements that we laid out on the show for trolling. Number one, if you're going to troll me, you got to do it before the game starts because anybody can be a Monday morning quarterback. And then number two, if your profile picture is not you or a picture of you and you don't even use your name as your profile name, you can't troll anybody because you're being a coward behind your keyboard. So they didn't do any of those things. Over the past four plus weeks, you've gone 28 and 15. Definitely the best record on this show because I have not gone 28 and 15 over the past four plus weeks. And also, I saw this one guy's profile picture. Looked like he was in his basement and that he probably had three or four bodies buried in the crawl space underneath his house. So I'd work on that stench coming from 
underneath the baseboards there, buddy. I wouldn't worry about those those bets. That one bet that Chelsea made that didn't come home. It's like, this bet's terrible. I'm like, you know what's terrible? The number of people missing in your county, and you're probably responsible. That's what I have to say to that. <laughs> people that troll, I swear to God. I get fired. He wasn't even talking to me, even though I had an awful night. So whatever. Let's not spend any more time on those people than we have to. Let's talk about the things that we saw last night in the betting world. And Chelsea, it wasn't our best night, but also you had one play on the board. So whatever. Yeah, had Zach Allen under his outs prop of 15 and a half. Just thought there would be some urgency there. And also, you got to be efficient if you're going to hit this one. But mm-hmm. Gallon was just that. If you were watching this game, he was wheeling and dealing. But more importantly for this loss, the Rangers were not making him work. There were a couple of innings there where I think he only threw nine innings or nine pitches. So it was very effective work from Zach Allen. Not only was he not allowing any runs, It's just Mm -hmm. the Rangers were swinging at first pitches and not really getting deep into counts. And the Diamondbacks did this too, and probably more egregiously so. Uh, Mm -hmm. But that was an L for my innings uh, or my outs play. Under 15 and a half outs, I needed him to go under five. He went six and a third. Well, let me tell you, I can't buy a win right now. So you can troll me all you want. I had Stars Flames under six. Gross stars winning overtime for three. I also had Kent State Akron under 40. I watched a little bit of that game. Why? Two one and seven teams. Holy Lord. Akron wins 31-27. So that was an easy loser. As for the Donkster, Coyotes Ducks under six and a hook. Ducks win four to three in overtime. So for the night, or for the week, I should say, you've gone two and three. I've gone a gross one and four, and the Dogster is two and two. Let's talk about game five of the World Series last night in the desert. Rangers leading this series, three games to one going in. And despite the loss by the D-backs, Zach Gallen, brilliant for Arizona. Zach Gallen, score one, two, three, first. Perfect pitch. One, two, Deep left center field. Gurriel to the gap. Way back. Over the shoulder with calm. Zach Gallon in a rocking chair. About 12 pitches per inning. No hits against him. And there is yet another job. First pitch out. And the pitch. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. Six shutout in the books. And Gallon yet to allow a hit in game five. Mm-hmm. He had a no-hitter going. Through seven, the Rangers finally break things up thanks to a ground ball single from Corey Seager. Then Mitch Garver breaks the scoreless tie in the seventh with an RBI single to put the Rangers on top. one nothing. Stays that way until the ninth. Under it, third, two out. Here's an 0-1 to Simeon. In the air to left center field. Gurriel's back. It is gone! Texas on the verge! And with four runs in the ninth, led by Marcus Simeon, who goes two for five on the evening, history finally made. It's happened! The Texas Rangers win the World Series! Calls courtesy of Fox, the Rangers winning their first world title in 63 years. 
First one in the history of the franchise, Corey Seager becomes just the fourth player in baseball history to win the World Series MVP twice, joining Sandy Koufax, Bob Gibson, and Reggie Jackson. Nathan Avaldi, awesome for the Rangers. Six innings to shut out baseball, allows just four hits. He goes 5-0 and with an ERA of 2.95 in the postseason. And Chelsea, the Rangers... Just did not lose on the road during the postseason. What a performance by this Texas team who clearly looked like the better squad from start to finish. Oh, for sure. And I think the consistent thing was, number one, their offense. It seems like Mm -hmm. they came to play every single night. Uh, Very consistent and repeatable offense. And then number two, the pitching really stepped up in the postseason. And I think this is proof that you don't really need more than two or three Mm -hmm. horses when it comes to your starting rotation. Uh, So you have to look at the number one and the number two going into the postseason and say, okay, can these pitchers deliver in the biggest of moments? Big game, Nate. Nathan Avaldi, of course, getting the job done uh, in the final game for the Rangers. And like you said, he's been lights out the entire postseason. And he's already won one, I believe, with the Boston Red Sox. He's been there. He's done that before. Jordan Montgomery also had a huge role in this, uh, pitching a little of the final game in the LCS between the Rangers and the Astros. And then the bullpen held on. It was not the aspect of the Rangers where people were really celebrating the arms there, but they deserve Mm -hmm. some credit to holding the Diamondbacks scoreless in those final innings. I think when it comes to the World Series and when you see these big underdog teams like the Arizona Diamondbacks, I think you always wonder... What if another team had of would have reached the World Series? Would they have given the Rangers a little bit of a better run? I'm not so sure because, like I said, the pitching's been lights out. The hitters have across the board been really solid. And also, here's the difference between the Rangers and say the Braves or the Dodgers. Their big dogs came to the porch and Mm -hmm. they delivered. Because remember those series with the Braves and the Dodgers. One through three, the big names in the lineup were extremely cold. Wasn't the case for the Rangers, who didn't even have Adolis Garcia in this one. But Corey Seager continues to be the calling card for that lineup. Of course, named MVP uh, after clinching or getting his hits, runs, RBI prop, every single prop you can probably imagine. And also Marcus Simeon. It makes a huge difference when your leadoff guy can get on base, it feels like every single time. On the other end, usually it's Cattell Marte, but Marcus Simeon, this one, two for five, a run, two RBI, and two home run, or a two-run home run in the ninth inning. So that was the difference between the Rangers and the other big dogs that were sitting on the couch during the World Series. Speaking of sitting on the couch, I heard this after the game. And Bruce Bochy, what an incredible job he has done as the skipper of this franchise. Fourth World Series title of his career. Of course, won three with the Giants. He becomes the sixth manager in Major League history with at least four world championships. He said after the game that when he got the call to manage Texas, he was, quote, sitting in a recliner in Nashville just enjoying myself. Sitting there at 68 years old or however old he was at the time, I believe now he's 68, and sitting there probably watching some baseball, he gets the call, hey, you want to come manage the Texas Rangers? And here he is just a couple years later, Chelsea, with a remarkable job. In fact, it really is amazing to think about this Rangers squad. They lost, what, 100 games just two years ago. They make the right free agent acquisitions. They put it together, and here they are. And they did this at least for the majority of the season without Jacob deGrom. I feel really bad for deGrom, but – it was the moves that they made during the offseason, including bringing in Bochi, that really put everything together. 
Oh, for sure. And to be clear, they spent a ton of money. It's not mm -hmm. like they're some little rinky-dink team. Oh, right. They, when free agency came around, they emptied the checkbook or they emptied the piggy bank to get guys like Corey Seager, who didn't really put a ton of return on investment, I think, in like the first year he got there. And maybe not even as much as you'd expect in the regular season because he did get hurt and missed some time during the regular season. But this is what you pay for. Guys who can deliver in the postseason. I think it's sad that we didn't get to see Jacob DeGrom, but like, is that yeah. really a shock? The guy's made of glass. Uh, but Max Scherzer at least did something in the postseason for them as well. He didn't probably do as much as he would have liked to, but this is proof that when a team makes those big free agent signings, mm -hmm. even if it doesn't pay off in like, you know, the next six months, sometimes it is worth it in the long run because Marcus Simeon was that way as well. I remember yeah. I had an MVP bet on him. Maybe it was this year, maybe it was last year, but he really struggled out of the gates. But this is when you need him in the postseason and all came together for the Texas Rangers. I will say as someone who did not have a dog in the fight here, I was happy to see the Rangers win. A, because I'm from Texas and I grew up cheering for the Rangers and a lot of Rangers fans. But really more than that, we all remember that heartbreak that the Rangers suffered, what, in 2012 against the Cardinals when twice, twice in the World Series, they were down to one strike to win it. And then just heartbreak each time and they don't capture a title and so imagine being a fan and thinking we were one strike away we were one strike away and then here we are 11 years later more than a decade later they finally get that coveted world series so objectively i'm happy for a franchise that has been so close and one of the few franchises that had not won a world series ever they finally get it done. So good on Texas for finally pushing through after some real heartbreak a few years ago. Yeah, I think a lot of teams probably have stories like that. Like you look at the Braves every regular season, it feels like that's the case. Same goes for the Dodgers. Like look at how good the Dodgers are every single regular season, only for them to only have what, one World Series mm -hmm. title in the last 20 years. It's absolutely wild to me. But I think the heartbreak in this one belongs to the Arizona Diamondbacks. Because I know you see that the Rangers won this in only five games, but this series was way closer, I think, than that final series, um, you know, deficit looks like. Because remember the first game of this series? That was the one that uh, we had a walk-off home, home run in, right? It just felt like the, the Diamondbacks yeah. were right there in each of, like, the first three games and just couldn't get it done in the final one. Even this one. Zach Gallen pitched lights out, and they still couldn't secure the win. So I think the Dimebacks are going to be going into the offseason feeling very disappointed. But also now, I think it means the Dimebacks may be a team that is willing to spend a little bit more money because now they've got a young core. They've got a lot of really good mm -hmm. players who they have under their control. So maybe we'll see the Dimebacks next year. Yeah, I think it's an absolute possibility. Certainly when you talk about that, that young core, if you need anything to convince you, maybe we should spend some cash. You look at that roster and just up and down the roster. It's just, it's a very talented, a very inexperienced roster, but all they need to do is make some moves. And all of a sudden they could be in this position again, regardless, great run by Arizona this year already. If you're looking ahead, the D backs 25 to one to win the world series. If you just got to get on a baseball future, less than 24 hours after we've crowned a new world champion coming up next here on the show. Will Levis likes to eat bananas with the feels on. 
Will he bite off more than he can chew tonight in Pittsburgh? A preview of Thursday Night Football coming up next on the Daily Tip from BetQL, presented by BetMGM. Great to have you with us on a Thursday. Bye-bye. Chelsea and Jenks will be right back on the Daily Tip, presented by BetMGM. On the BetQL Network. Welcome back to the Daily Tip, presented by Bet MGM, with Michael Jenkins and Chelsea Messenger on the Bet QL Network. Welcome back. Great to have you with us on a Thursday. The Daily Tip from BetQL, presented by Bet MGM. I'm Jake. She is Chelsea. Oh, if you like Thursday night slugfest, the NFL has just what you need. We are previewing the Titans and the Steelers in just a bit. Jelsa, have you heard the big scuttlebutt going around all over the interwebs that Bill Belichick may, and this is a this is allegedly just the rumor mill, may come to coach the Washington Commanders. The thought is that Ron Rivera will eventually be fired, and he is. If if you look at like an offshore book, he's the favorite to be the first coach fired in the NFL at two to one. But the thought is because Belichick. You heard that story. Hey, Bill Belichick has served this or signed this long-term extension during the offseason. And the thought is the reason why that was leaked is the Patriots want everyone to know, A, he's in a contract, but B, if you want him, you're going to have to give us some compensation for him. And the thought process is that since the commanders are probably or eventually going to fire Ron Rivera, that they will want to bring in Bill Belichick, especially because the commanders have a new ownership group. How much of this story do you think has legs, if any? Why would Bill Belichick want to go to the commanders? That's what I don't understand. Because if I was in his position, I would only go to a team that's ready-made to make me look good. At this Mm -hmm. point in his career, like we've seen how things have gone without Tom Brady. Like, does he expect to go to the commanders and, you know, just put himself in a situation that is already going to get another coach fired? It doesn't seem like a very smart move to me. I don't think so either. I think you could make the case that top to bottom, the commanders have a more intriguing roster. And certainly Sam Howell, I think, has more upside than Mac Jones. And it all starts with the quarterback position. I, I really don't know. I Part of this would be whether or not – I wonder how much of a say – I mean, I guess he can decide to say, I, I don't want to coach here. But if the commanders can make a move to say, all right, we'll sign Bill Belichick, but we have to give you some sort of compensation, I guess they could work that out. I wonder, too, and you see this with – with players all the time and and coaches are different but you know sometimes you'll see a player and he's been in one place not necessarily too long but the situation just isn't tenable any longer and then that player goes elsewhere it's a different situation different set of personnel different set of circumstances different ownership group different coaches and then they perform much better do you think that can happen with a head coach we see it all the time but Bill Bill Belichick might be a might be the exception to the rule because he's been around for so very long and been so closely associated with one franchise for so long. I just don't understand why he'd want to do this. And I get that if you trade him, it's not necessarily up to him, 
But doesn't right. it feel like the Patriots would be doing him extremely dirty? We are not talking about any run-of-the-mill head coach. We are talking right. about a legend, an icon, a future Hall of Famer with the Patriots that it feels like they would be like just kicking him out in the cold with this move. So I just don't see it happening. That's me. I'm not super close to the situation. Maybe there's something that I'm missing here. It just mm -hmm. doesn't seem like a move that I would understand or that Bill Belichick would want to put himself into. Well, then let's talk about something you do understand. And you know what I mean? The Tennessee Titans. That's who I'm talking about. Your Titans in the Steel City tonight for Thursday Night Football. Steelers laying two and a half points. Steelers are minus 145 on the money line at BetMGM. Titans are plus 120. Total set at 36 and a half. You can still find it if you shop around at 37. So you don't have to buy the hook or anything like that. Chelsea, I will defer to you when we start talking about how we're going to bet or what we're thinking about when it comes to this game. The Titans are your team. You have, I think, more of a handle on Tennessee than I do. So what's going to happen here? Well, I think the problem is it is extremely hard to have a handle on a team that now has a quarterback that can be extremely volatile. Because yeah. when we are talking about rookie quarterbacks, I think it's very difficult to say, okay, he's played a full one game in the NFL. We can expect him to replicate <laughs> that awesome performance that he had in his first game against the Falcons, where he was just, you know, spinning it all over the place and dropping dimes to DeAndre Hopkins. So I think I'm trying to temper my expectations mm -hmm. just a little bit, but I do think he's bringing way more to the table right now than Ryan Tannehill. But if you believe that there are a lot of outcomes on the table for Will Levis, that's yeah. why it's extremely tough to bet on this one. I think there is a chance that the Titans win this game outright, or there's a chance that the Titans lose by, you know, maybe double digits. Even though I think the Steelers are a team that have not won a single game this season by more than a touchdown. It just doesn't feel like a team that is built yeah. to blow out anybody. Uh, so if this was a normal game on the normal slate, I think it'd be a great teaser leg if you get them at eight and a half. And if you do a single game teaser, you could do something with the total. But I think the total is really volatile too. Because mm -hmm. I think a lot of people really liked the under in that Falcons and Titans game because yeah. we weren't sure what we were going to see from the offense. And then Will Levis goes down the field and throws for four touchdowns. So that's the difference between this total. If you have a Titans team that can score touchdowns, or a Titans team that is forced to kick field goals. Because at 36 and a half, I think yeah. the only thing I would play in this one is probably the over for that reason. And that's the problem because Will Levis could go out there and look absolutely terrible. And I'm not expecting much from the Steelers offense as well. It looks like it's going to be Kenny Pickett that is forcing his way onto the field. He says, I'm going to play yeah. in this game. Uh, but it's not a Steelers offense that's been great either. And both of these defenses are really solid. It's also a primetime game. We know primetime unders have been the play. Uh, but I think the the total is way too volatile for me. I think mm -hmm. if I were to play anything in this game, it would be the Titans getting the points or the Titans on the money line. feels like those are the outcomes I would project. I think I'm going to go Steelers money line here. I can't decide if I'm going to play it. But I I feel like that, you're not getting the value that you should on the Titans. I, I think this number should be bigger and which is fine with me, which is why I'm going with the Steelers here. But I, I, I believe that maybe we're putting a little too much impetus on how Will Levis looked last week. And look, he was awesome last week. There's no question about it, but looking good against the Falcons at home 
in Nashville is a lot different than playing on the road in Pittsburgh against TJ Watt and that Steelers defense in prime time. And I feel like we've seen this story plenty of times, right? Some young quarterback comes in, balls out. Now the opposing team the next week has more tape on him and it's a tougher assignment and he goes out and he struggles. Who knows? Maybe he comes out and he's, he's slinging the ball around and he looks incredible. I just don't think I see it in this spot. And also, I think will be a huge help for the Steelers. It looks like they're going to get Cam Hayward back on the on their defensive line, which will be massive after dealing with that core muscle surgery. And by the way, I looked up what a core muscle surgery involves when I was doing this handicap. I'm like, what exactly is that? It involves suturing the muscle attachments to the bones and adjacent ligaments to provide stability to the pubic joint. No thanks. Guys, I'll be back in the field. I just have to get these ligaments and muscles resutured to my pubic joint. No thank you. I will pass. He should be back on the field tonight, but I think the Steelers can get enough pressure on Will Levis to make him make a mistake or two. I'm going to go Steelers money line. I wouldn't fault you on it. And I think if this line was three, I would definitely take the Titans and the points because I do think there's a chance it's going to be lower scoring. And here's the Mm -hmm. thing about like not taking the Titans in a tight spread when they're getting points. Number one, Mm -hmm. Mike Vrabel, one of the best underdog coaches in the NFL when it comes to ATS. And also their defense is so good that it has single-handedly kept them in a lot of these games. Like remember the first week of the season, they didn't score a single touchdown, but yet cover the number against the Saints. So I think that's what you have to remember when you're going against the Tennessee Titans when they are getting points. Uh, But if we are talking about injuries, Megan Fitzpatrick on the secondary going to be out for the Steelers. And that's why I think I would like a play on DeAndre Hopkins in this one. Uh, Yesterday, his number was set at 51 and a half. I think since then it has gone up. I think I'll take a a gander at that, though. DeAndre Hopkins over 52 and a half receiving yards. When it comes to target share, he was the guy for Will Levis down the field. He had four catches, and all of them were explosive down the middle. And here's the thing. The Titans don't have much to lose. I feel like they're going to let Will Levis throw it down the field if he Mm -hmm. wants to. And plus, this uh, secondary for the Steelers has allowed some massive games from opposing receivers. Nico Collins from the Texans, 168 receiving yards. Devontae Adams, 172. Amari Cooper, 90. Brandon Ayuk, 129. Uh, Puka Nakua had over 150. And then against the Jags last week, they had three separate receivers go over 70 receiving yards. So I think I do like DeAndre Hopkins over his receiving prop. Uh, also because when rookie quarterbacks find somebody who they have chemistry with in one game, it feels like you revert back to that guy, your security blanket. So I'll go to Andre Hopkins over his receiving prop. You have to have that security blanket, safety valve. I like that play a lot. I have that written down as well and a whole handicap. Why don't the question is, will I play it? I will say going back to the total for a second, I think I may go with the under here. I'm trying to decide if I'm going with a big card or not. I've had a bad week, even though I've liked my handicapping this week, but I've gone one and four, so I don't want to chase, but I might just go with a big card, throw caution to the wind. If I have a bad week, I have a bad week. But here's why I like the under. And right now it's sitting at 36 and a hook. If Adam Jim, again, you can find it at 37. Money has come in on the under. 
Steelers are pretty terrible on offense. I mean, really terrible. They average 16.1 points per game. It is third worst in all of football. And you look at the Titans, not a whole lot better. They average 18.9 points per game. That is 23rd in the NFL. So I think about game script as well. Do you want Will Levis out there slinging the ball around? Probably not. The way to beat the Steelers, honestly, is on the ground. I think we're going to see a heavy dose of Derrick Henry and then put Will Levis in situations where he has manageable third downs, right? So that will take time off the clock. And also the under 3-1 and one in Pittsburgh's four home games this season, the under 4-0 and oh during the Titans' four games away from home this year. I believe they have three games on the road and then one that was overseas. So everything points to the under for me. It's a really low number, which scares me a little bit, but I think that's where I'm going to go. Yeah, I think it's just Will Levis. That's what you're banking on. Mm-hmm. And we he had plenty of leash in the first game. I think that's what would scare me is that, yes, you would think that the Titans would rely on the run, but they've been doing that all year, and it hasn't really been working. And when you unleash Will Levis and let him throw it down the field, it mm-hmm. actually helps Derrick Henry because when you have to, you know, have those guys out down in coverage, you know, yeah. you keep the defenses off balance. When you have an acceptable passing game that can offset the running game. We saw a big game from Derrick Henry last week, coincidentally. Uh, so I think I'm not going to be playing a total in this one. But let's look real quick on the other side when it comes to props. I was trying to decide be- behind, be- between Deontay Johnson and uh, George Pickens. Because George Pickens feels like one of those guys that is feast or famine. He's either making these like wild circus catches or he's not making the catch at all. Like if you look at his stat line, he's had games this year Mm -hmm. with over 100 yards receiving and games with like 25 yards receiving. Last game, Deontay Johnson had 14 targets. That is a wild number. Clearly he's getting the targets in this one. And I think the weakness of this Titans defense is – in the middle of the field. Their secondary really struggles. Mm. The red zone defense is really good, but they can be had in the middle of the field. So I think if you were looking at a receiver, I think the floor is probably lower for Deontay Johnson. I would take his over at 56 and a half receiving yards. Okay. And I think, I believe Kenny Pickett is starting tonight. That was a question Mm -hmm. earlier in the week. And I read a story where Kenny Pickett was being asked some questions at a press conference and just like a basic weekly Steelers press conference. And then it wasn't known yet whether or not he was going to start, and Mitch Trubisky was in the room, and they said when Kenny Pickett said, oh, I'm definitely going to start this week no matter what, Mitchell Trubisky just got up and walked out like, oh, okay, well, if he's talked to the coaches and he's starting, then I guess I'm not going to play. Regardless, I, I don't think that would change the the handicap for me. Would it change it for you if suddenly we saw a different quarterback, Kenny Pickett, instead of Mitch Trubisky or vice versa? I think it affects the handicap for Deontay Johnson because you can't logically say, okay, Deontay Johnson got 14 targets last week. He's going to be the guy this week, which normally he's the guy, but also quarterbacks have their favorite targets because Mitch Trubisky was playing that game. So maybe he likes throwing to Deontay Johnson a little bit more, but still there's been games where Kenny Pickett is throwing and he's been the primary target share holder So I think if there's somebody you can depend on, and that's what you're banking on, like you want somebody who at least is going to get close to this and possibly Mm -hmm. go over, it's Deontay Johnson. Like I said, George Pickens, he's either going to go way over his prop or like way under 
it just feels like a way more volatile way to play a prop on the Steelers side. I'm actually looking forward to watching this game tonight, and I'm with you. It, it's definitely going to be volatile. It, you never know. When you have a court, it really does, like you said. It comes down to Will Levis. How is he going mm-hmm. to perform? Because that's going to give you the most variance as far as what happens with props, the side, the total, everything. He is the key. Coming up next here on the show, where you react to college basketball losing an icon. It is the Daily Tip from BetQL, presented by BetMGM. Great to have you with us on a Thursday morning. Come on back. Chelsea and Jenks will be right back on the Daily Tip presented by BetMGM on the BetQL Network. Let's get back to the Daily Tip with Chelsea Messenger and Michael Jenkins presented by BetMGM on the BetQL Network. to the show on a Thursday. This is a daily tip from BetQL presented by BetMGM. She's Chelsea Messenger live in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm Michael Jenkins live in the nation's capital. We are about to remember a college basketball legend with the passing of Bobby Knight, legendary Indiana basketball coach yet at the age of 83. Before we get into that, and there are so many stories when it comes to Bobby Knight, a very unique personality and certainly a winner easily one of the best college basketball coaches in in the history of the sport. Chelsea, did you have a coach or a teacher because you were a swimmer at NC State that influenced you in a way that had an impact on you even now? I feel like everyone, whether you're playing sports or not, even if it's it's in academia compared to athletics, there is one person that sort of molds you or has an influence that still maybe sticks with you even now. Or Mm. not. I feel like I had like several bad experiences with coaches, but none that were like super, super mm-hmm. great. Like I had some decent coaches, mm-hmm. some coaches that were like extremely nice, but not necessarily good. Like our swim coach at NC State. Uh, I thought he was a great person. Nice guy would go uh, the extra mile for anybody who he had, but he was fired shortly after we left. So he wasn't mm-hmm. there that long. Uh, and now the guy that we have, like NC State's going to like new heights and swimming. So maybe it wasn't the best, <laughs> but like I've had some good coaches, but not necessarily one that I would like, mm-hmm. you know, go to career or go to like, you know, role model day and say like, this is the person sure. that really shaped my life. So I don't know, like, I guess I had some good teachers, but none that really stand out. Yeah, no, I, it's fair. I, I, I always find it a fascinating question who influences you and who leaves a mark on you. I had an English teacher when I was in high school and I probably talked about him before on this show because he was such an incredible personality and extremely difficult. But what I loved about him, Mr. Edwards, Weldon Edwards, and he passed away a few years ago is that he was able to, he was very intelligent and very hard on his students, but also he is someone who, at least for me, he got it. And what I mean by that is when I was in high school, I was never in trouble at all. I was more of just someone kind of, I knew I wanted to do something creative in in this field, something similar. And I did a couple things where I kind of got in trouble in high school because I was trying to make everyone laugh, but it was it was very harmless and I thought it was very funny. I was doing it for the bit. I was committing to the bit even in high school 
And I kind of got in trouble for it. And I think I've told this story before, but I want to make this about Bobby Knight. Anyway, the reason why I say that is I was trying to figure out who I was and what I wanted to do. And I was like, I think this is good. I, I know I'm a kid, but I think this is good. And I think this is working. And I got in trouble a lot for this, a couple of shenanigans. But I remember I was walking after being in the principal's office, even though I was very straight laced and I was walking back up to class. I was walking up the steps of my high school and Mr. Edwards was just standing outside of his door and looking at me. And the smartest guy in the building. And I remember him looking at me and going, Mr. Jenkins. And I turned, he goes, well done. Like, and I would, to get the affirmation from the one guy who I respected probably more than anyone else in that building, who had more than anyone else's respect. It was like, I know what you're doing. And I know a lot of people don't get what you're doing, but I get it. And I got you. And that it, it meant the world to me because I was like, okay, I'm not alone here. I, I think I got this right. So I, I love memories like that when you have someone who can influence you in a certain way. And when you talk about Bobby Knight, it is player after player after player. It is coach after coach who will tell you about his influence on the game of basketball, passing away at the age of 83, won three national titles at Indiana, one in 1976, one in 1981, one in 1987. He coached the last team to ever go undefeated in 1975 and 1976 when he retired, winning as head coach in college basketball with 902 wins. That was later surpassed by Coach K, coached the 1984 USA basketball team, coached him to a gold medal, and also a very controversial figure as well because of his personality. When you talk about the phrase, we'll never see anyone like this again when it comes to Bobby Knight, we will never see anyone like this again. And here are some words from Bobby Knight himself, which I think encapsulate that. When my time on earth is gone and my activities here are past, I want they bury me upside down and my critics can kiss my That is Bobby Knight in a nutshell, Chelsea. Oh, for sure. And I think... Number one, he would definitely not have a job in today's culture. Uh, but number no. two, I think you really appreciate people who will fiercely go down their own road and not care what like the critics are saying. Because we all appreciate somebody who does it completely their own way. And especially when you can do it completely your own way and be wildly successful at it. Like, don't we appreciate these types even more? Guys like Mike Leach, who clearly was his mm -hmm. own person and did it completely his own way. And I think people will definitely remember Bobby Knight for the tantrums that he threw. So I think yes. that's my first memory of Bobby Knight is that's the coach that threw the chair uh, yep. when he was really mad. Uh, but it also brings up the conversation to me is that do you think we're going to have iconic head college basketball coaches any longer because doesn't it feel like that is a dying breed yes i know what you're saying and i guess it's possible i think there's more of a win now mentality i think it's harder than ever mm -hmm. to build a program especially when you have so many guys transferring in and yep. out and players leave earlier than they used to so you can have a one and done and and that certainly affects your program and also when you talk about great personalities you're right you you cannot get away today 
with what Bobby Knight got away with during his career. And there was an incident back in 1997. He was accused of choking a player. He was, and also I will say, I interviewed Bobby Knight back in the late 90s. And he was such a conundrum in that I, I never experienced the, the fierce, the angry, the intimidating side of Bobby Knight. He was very charming in person. He was also a huge individual. And I thought, I get it now that if I saw this guy angry at me, it I could absolutely see why you would be intimidated. But yes, to your to your question, we, we're not going to see coaches like this again. It's part of a dying breed. Yeah, for sure. Because it used to be you would identify college basketball programs by their head mm -hmm. coaches. But now that we don't have Coach K, we don't have Bobby Knight, we don't mm -hmm. have uh, Roy Williams, we deal we do still have a few. But it feels like when John Calipari, uh, Calipari retires, Bill Self retires, Tom Izzo yeah. retires, that I don't think that we will see guys like that ever again because, like you said, the transfer rule. And also the fact that it's more player-focused. Like, these players can earn their own money now. But also, you kind of touch on this when you're talking about your teacher. Do you think it's a dying breed for coaches that are extremely hard on players? Because this used to be yeah. the archetype. For coaches, every single football movie you would see is a coach right. screaming at his players. I don't know if this still happens. I'm sure there's coaches like this, but yes. it feels like we don't see them anymore as much. Well, and I also think that, and this is not a commentary on cancel culture or social media, but if you do that now, even if you do it during a game, there's going mm -hmm. to be video of it. It's going to get out. People are going to take sides, which, again, you can argue one way or the other. But because of that, that sort of intimidating figure who yells, gets in the face of a kid, it's just it, it's just not going to play anymore. I, I do want to say, because it does need to be mentioned when you talk about Bobby Knight, he has some incredible Michael Jordan stories because he coached Michael Jordan in the 1984 Olympics. A couple things. One of the best all-time quotes where there was a lot of debate before Jordan was drafted. Should he go number one or not? And I believe it was Sam Bowie that year out of Kentucky that went number one. And so Bobby Knight said, quote, I had a friend who had a high draft pick in the 84 draft. I told him to take Jordan. He said, I need a center. I told him, play Jordan at center because that's how good Michael Jordan was. Hakeem Olajuwon went number one. Sam Bowie went number two. I believe Jordan went number three. But my favorite story is, and you can watch the video of Bobby Knight telling this story, he recognized early, early on that Jordan was going to be really special. So in the 1984 Olympics, at halftime of a game, in 12 minutes of play, Jordan had 19 points, 11 rebounds, and 9 assists. And they were crushing the other team. So Bobby Knight thought to himself, well, I don't want these guys to let up in the second half, what I'll do is I'll go in there and I'll yell at Michael Jordan. And the other guys will think, oh my God, if I'm yelling at Jordan, what does he think of me? So he acts like he's angry. He slams the door and he says, Mike, when the hell are you going to set a screen out there? Because he'd done everything else. And Jordan famously responds, coach, didn't you say last week, I'm the quickest player you've ever seen? And Knight goes, Mike, what in the hell does that have to do with setting a screen? And Jordan goes, Coach, I think I'm setting them faster than you can see them. And it kind of broke everyone up. And all, early on, he recognized the greatness of Michael Jordan, and I love those stories. But it just goes to show 
the the legacy of Bobby Knight, even even those stories are just a microcosm of his entire career. Well, it also shows his willingness to go toe-to-toe with even the strongest of personalities. Because yes. Michael Jordan was no shrinking daisy. But think about the best coaches that you can think of. They were the best in the game at mm-hmm. managing and dealing and even motivating these top players because it's not an easy thing. Like, look at sure. I think that's why people respect Phil Jackson so much because it's not just – the X's and O's. It's not the game of basketball. It is managing personalities and being able to be strong enough mentally because, like, nobody's going to say Bobby mm-hmm. Knight's going to, like, stand down to anybody. And I think that makes you a great coach. Yeah, absolutely. So, man, that's a tough loss. And and you can read the tributes from around the, the basketball world. Tom Izzo, we mentioned him. He said the game has lost an icon. And I love this from Quinn Buckner, who played on that 1976 team now part of the Indiana University Board of Trustees, who said one of the things he said to our team was, you may never see another team like this again. I don't know if we'll ever see another coach like him again. Coming up next here on the show, time to preview week 10 in college football, including a tussle in Tuscaloosa. It is the Daily Tip from BetQL presented by BetMGM. For more, listen to the Daily Tip presented by BetMGM. Weekday mornings from 6 to 9 Eastern on the BetQL Network, the Odyssey app, or wherever you get your podcasts.